Lifestyle matters, it's more than money. My name is Liana Wachniak, filling in for Dave Popovich and Faisal Karmali this week. They were gracious enough to hand over the keys to the studio to me this week. So I get to run the show, and I have some great topics that I want to chat about with um, this week. It's going to be a really great show. Stay tuned for later on in the show, because we're going to be talking about your purpose in retirement. Most people know what they're retiring from, but if you want to maintain that feeling of satisfaction in what you're doing, and really have an idea of what you want to do later on, don't miss our last guest because we're going to be talking about that and how you figure out what that purpose is. But first, there's another topic that I wanted to cover, and that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. It's the people who are business owners, entrepreneurs, who are retiring, maybe they never retire or they choose to uh, move on from one business to the next, but how do you actually go about making that transition? And what are the things that you need to bear in mind when you're doing that? Now to answer some of those questions, we have a fantastic guest for that, Susan Nalen Sorrell, who is the founder of Prairie Mountain Partners is joining me here today. Welcome, Susan, thanks so much for joining me. Good morning, it's fantastic to be here. Great. Well, my first question for you, because you're a business transition expert, is when should people be starting to think about transitioning their business? What are those kind of triggers that come up for people when they start to maybe should start to think about either retiring or moving on from their business? Yeah, you know, in my experience, um, retirement and the selling of business is something that isn't planned for. People just sort of think it's going to happen. Um, and they and they put it off. My daughter graduated a couple days ago, and in the speeches they kept saying, "We've prepared you well for this next transition in your life." And yet, when I talk to business owners, you know, they often land on my doorstep and say, "I've got to sell." And that is the time that you know we can still do it, but it's not optimal. You know, the optimal time is when your business is still growing, when there's still some enthusiasm, when the momentum is moving forward. Too often I meet business owners who have great businesses and they've been cash flowing, but they've taken time, they go down to the States, they vacation, and the cash flow erodes just a little bit. And that's okay, because they're still having a great life. You know, they're not ready to retire, so they're sort of in this quasi, mode of nothing. And what really begins to happen is the business loses momentum. So when we go to value these businesses, you're not valuing a company that is sort of growing and, and moving and gets to those premium prices. We've got one that actually gets to the point where the conversation with the buyer is, it's a repair job, but not that bad. And then further down the road is, yikes, this one actually is, you're gonna to have to fully reset it. And so when we can work with entrepreneurs earlier to make a plan, we can help them exit. And exiting doesn't mean that you have to drop the keys. And just like you said, you're talking about purpose in retirement. A lot of people don't know what to do in retirement. These are people who have loved their businesses and love what they've done. There's this perception that once you sell, that's it. The ideal transitions often have the principal staying in roles where they absolutely love what they're doing you know, they'll move to the sales role or they'll, you know, just meet with clients or whatever those great parts of the business is and leave the rest. So my view is earlier the better and we can figure out what to do from there. 
That's really interesting because it's so hard to walk away while it's still fun, while it's still growing, while they're still in that growth mode. That's the exciting part. How do you kind of coach people if you actually manage to talk to them at that point in time that they might want to consider that a transition maybe should be put in place at that point in time? Well, it's often easier when we can sit down and show them the numbers, right? By selling the business earlier, we can, and what we can do is we can share the future, right? Again, a lot of people sort of take that very low end, you know, I'm going to sell it like selling your house. You get paid all at once. Um, I come from investment banking where we structure deals all the time and a structured deal means, you know, we might say you get this much up front, and because you're still growing, um, and you're going to participate in this, we can give you this much into the future. So there's a way numerically, I can show it very quickly, you know, between the tax mitigation of the capital gains exemption, uh, between putting your money in the market, you can earn certain amounts and you can still be earning from the business. There's a million solutions. Um, you just have to sit down and see where the, the person is at and where you think they can go. Well, exactly. And as you said, there are a million solutions. You kind of just need to have a look at what those are. So what are um, maybe if you have kind of a broad overview, what are sort of the options for a business owner if they're looking to start to transition out or um, maybe get ready to retire? What are the first kind of steps to that process? Um, I would say sit down and have a plan, right? Just like I said, you know, my daughter graduated. She always knew this was the date. She always knew what was going to go on. You know, over the past year, she's figured out what she's doing next. You know, similarly, you're going to figure out when you're going to retire. Is that in one year? Is that in five years? Right. And then there's different things that we can do. If if a company is five years away from from an exit, it's amazing what changes we can actually make to it to make it that much more valuable. I sat down with a business owner who came to me years ago, uh, he, in my view, while well, he was ready, I actually thought that he needed to make some changes. And by making those changes, you know, he almost tripled his exit value, right? So there's things you can do five years out, two years out, there's still some planning, some tax mitigation. Um, we can do some cleaning up. Um, nobody wants to say it, but you are judged at every step of your exit. And, you know, so by having the company clean, getting some of the personal expenses out, um, having decent financials and, you know, sometimes literally cleaning the shop makes all the difference. So we can do things two years out. When we get to the point where, and I've done it, I've dealt with, you know, very sick clients or clients where the principal is deceased. Those are hard deals, right? Those you can't do a lot. But we can still do something right so there's always something and my biggest thing is before you go into the market prepare you only have one chance to make a first impression and more often than not um, i find people will go out they'll talk to their what i call the natural buyer they're not ready for it and it doesn't work out as well as it should and then people are frustrated because they don't understand what the missteps are so have a plan think through it, become as knowledgeable as you can, and then move forward. Do you have kind of an ideal time frame that you, sh you talk about with people? When would you like them to start planning for an exit in an ideal world? So in an ideal world, sitting down with your family and figuring out where you want to go, I would say that 
should start about five years in advance. Um, I think when you get towards the two year mark, I think that's when you start bringing in your team, your trusted advisors. That's when you talk about how your company's structured. Depending on how a company's structured can materially change your ability to get the capital gains exemption. That's you know over $900,000 of money that's tax exempt. But if you're not set up correctly, you know, that that then becomes an issue. So two years out, you can actually start doing some of these things. Ideally, five years out, you do them. But, you know, if we're at two years, we can still do those things. Um, and then I really think a year out, you actually begin formally with the process. That means putting together your goals, what you're going to want out of the business. You're going to start developing your story and you're actually going to organize everything. And there is a lot of work. Um, Selling business for me is a full-time job. Um, most of my clients have a full-time job. So trying to get it done um, at the last minute just doesn't work. So when we can organize, when we can put together due diligence rooms, when we can prepare everything, it becomes that much better. Um, and by preparing a year out, that actually gives us a little bit of flexibility in terms of timing, right? The market often changes. You know, in the last year, we had a period where we were getting really high multiples everybody was hungry everybody thought that we were in recovery and then interest rates started going right any of the clients that we were able to take out last summer did exceptionally well the ones that were delayed into the winter those were harder i mean interest rates changed the buyer's ability to finance so just having the flexibility really can change and my final comment is please don't leave it till you have to the hardest negotiations we ever have is when a client doesn't have an option. I've actually had buyers say, what is your client going to do? And I have to tap dance at those, you know, but in reality, I, they can't do a lot. They can't pull out of the sale. You can't sort of pocket it and keep it for a year if you're at the point where you must go. So for those people who are would be tended to leave it until that absolute last minute because they love what they do or they don't know what they're going to do next. Can you talk to me about some of the options that they might have as you actually exit that business where it's not just, as you said, handing the keys over and walking away. Can you tell me about what some of those other options might look like in order to make an exit that might be smoother or more comfortable for you? And not just smoother or more comfortable, but generally more valuable. When we have an ability to keep an owner in a role and to properly transition the business, that is when we get the highest premiums. We always say that there's something called asymmetric information out there, which means the seller knows everything and the buyer's scared because they just don't know. And so therefore there's an implied discount. When we can actually move a seller into a role where he is or she is transitioning actively working in the business that works i've had clients where i've sat down and they have you know a special skill a part of the business that they are awesome at i had one client who hated hr he openly said he hated people and yet he was exceptional at one part of his job so when we were negotiating his exit we actually put him into the role where he was wonderful he excelled he loved every day of it and we were able to bring in you know, a buyer that could support on the HR side. And, you know, that's the ideal situation. My client was able to go to Mexico to do all those things he couldn't for the last, you know, too many years. And, you know, those are the kind of things. So 
again, there's not a box. If anybody tells you this is how it's going to be or check this box, that that's not that's not the transition you need. Mm -hmm. There's lots of flexibility there, and it might mean you actually get to do more of what you love than less, right? Yeah, and you can still golf. You can still go down south. You can still do all those things you want. Perfect. I think a lot of people will be surprised to hear that. And I think they might be surprised as to what the actual process looks like when they're thinking about selling the business. So if somebody was to sit down with your team and say, I'm thinking about transitioning out of my business and going into kind of the next phase of my life, what does that process sort of look like when we're working with you? So with us, the first thing we'll do is we'll sit down, we'll have an introductory coffee. I would say, call me, coffee's free, right? We'll sit down, we'll have a conversation, I'll tell you. I think now is the time, I think maybe you should pull back, you know, there's a number of things. We can generally see that in the financials and sort of say, here's your optimal and, and then have a discussion and timing. Once you determine timing, that's when you sort of figure out what do you want out of it? What's important? Do you want to keep the employees? Do you need to keep it in your town? And that then begins to define the value. Value isn't one set, right? We can get higher values if we do certain things. And I've had clients take lower values in order to, you know, preserve something in their town or sort of leave the kind of legacy. Once we sort of define that, we actually pull back. And this is the frustrating part for most of my clients. Um, we spend a fair bit of time putting together the story. Um, we make sure we proactively tell it. We actually go through if there's any kind of flaws, we bring them forward first. We make sure that we know how you know they're mitigated and we organize the information. We basically pull back so that when we're ready to go, we're ready to sprint. The majority of deals actually fail due to something called deal fatigue. It just takes too long, everybody gets frustrated. Um, most of my entrepreneurs aren't the gentlest personalities. They're very strong-willed and they like to make change and it's really hard to sit back and let somebody make a decision and it usually takes too long. But in a lot of cases, my clients don't realize it's us and the delivery and how we're preparing the information. So what we do is we get them all ready and then we go. So it takes a while. Um, we go out. Most of my clients will actually know their buyers. That's another secret that people don't know. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll put together a deal. We'll put together a letter of intent and then there's due diligence. I can only describe it as a colonoscopy, but worse. Um, everybody hates it. And then we finally get through to the end, right? But as long as we continue to cooperate, as long as we move forward positively with the other side, we can get great deals done and we can change people's worlds. Fantastic. And it's interesting that you say that most people know their buyers. That I think that's something that's daunting for a lot of people is who do I actually sell it to? How do you go about finding a buyer? So it's, it's actually funny because the Canadian Federation of Independent Business has put together a bunch of stuff and they look at the reasons that people aren't ready to sell. And one of the top reasons is, is that they don't know their buyer. Um, again, if we go back to that comment about asymmetric information, it's having a stranger come in and learn your industry. That happens for sure. And, I, and I've done that and I found the right people, but that's a harder process because there's some fear in having to learn an industry and take on a business. Um, in a lot of cases, there's a, a natural buyer. Um, that could be a competitor, that could be a supplier, um, that could be a customer. And so I tell my clients often that they know their buyer, but 
they don't necessarily know that they know their buyer. So we talk about who would benefit most from this sale. And that's, that's actually where we start. Um, and that does shock a lot of people. I've actually had people call me and say, do you have a list of potential buyers? And I always say, yeah, but you know what? Some of these guys I'll call and I'll tell them. And the ones that are known are what we call strategic buyers, right? They tend to pay a premium because they have what's called synergies. They can take out the back office. They can, you know, lower costs by, you know, using their supply chain, you know, so a strategic buyer will always pay more. And those are the ones that my clients are generally hesitant to deal with because we do, we face issues with sharing information, um, selling to a competitor. Nobody likes to sell the guy they've hated for 20 years. Well, and that's, that's a tough thing to do, but you're there to help them through it. So that's a great service that you provide. And we have about 30 seconds left, Susan. If people wanted to chat with you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, website is prairiemountainpartners.com. Click on there. You can contact, call me. And as I said, I will have coffee with anybody anytime. And that's, that's free. So. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Susan. That's Susan Nalen Sorrell Fount founder of Prairie Mountain Partners. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. And we have a real treat today because we're going to talk about something that I think doesn't get thought about enough as people are transitioning to retirement. We all know what we're leaving in terms of a job or the day-to-day -day activities that we won't be doing anymore, but we don't necessarily think about what is going to be our day-to-day -day when we do retire, whether that is a hobby that we're going to do, but really what brings fulfillment to your life and the things that you enjoy about your job, how do you find other ways to do that when you retire? So that's something that we use the blanket word purpose for, and we have the perfect person to talk about that today, somebody who is a retirement transition coach. We have Brian Lambier, who's the president of Career Vitality. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Lena. Glad to be here. Uh, you did a presentation for our clients a couple of weeks ago, and it was fantastic. And we talked all about purpose in retirement, what that means and how you figure out what that is. So let's maybe start with the sort of broad question of what is purpose to you? What is your definition of that? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, I think um, purpose is really about kind of defining what is important to you as an individual and how it, and what resonates with not only your interests, but your values. I think that's the key aspect of purpose. And it's about providing opportunities in your life or looking for opportunities in your life that um, provide you with a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and a sense of accomplishment. Because I think one of the big challenges with people when they leave work is that they gain, they lose a lot of opportunity, uh, at least in their minds, to um, have that sense of purpose in their life because they believe that work is what provides that to them. And then they're always thinking, well, what am I going to do when I leave? How am I going to make that contribution that makes that fills me up every day? So, so it's really about again identifying what's important to you, what your interests are, what your values are, um, that where you can actually feel that sense of accomplishment and giving back to your community in some form or fashion. And I think that's one of the things that uh, scares people a little bit, and we did talk about this, about 
what does retirement mean? So I'm going to ask you that question now. What is the actual meaning of retirement? Because we kind of challenge that definition a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an interesting word, isn't it? When you think about retirement, because retirement really is not a word that I'm not a big fan of, even though I am a retirement coach. And the only reason I use the word retirement is because that's what really uh, people recognize, you know, so they, they relate that to that, that part of their lives. Um, I really look at retirement as a, as a place where people can not only just get away from work, but also provide them with that opportunity to look for additional work if they decide to do that, um, look for opportunities and possibilities that really kind of fill them up and start defining themselves, not by what they've done in their life, in their past life and work, but also, but more about who they are as individuals. And it kind of gets back to that values situation that we talked about earlier in regards to um, doing activities that um, are, uh, you know, you're around kind of the right people in your lives that really resonate with who you are as a person. Being in the right, doing the right activities, obviously, and also doing being in the right place so it really kind of fills you up and provides you with that um, meaningful contribution that you may be looking for in your retirement. Is that the toughest part about people who are transitioning to retirement? I'm sure you meet with a lot of them. Is that the most difficult thing that they have in retirement? Or what's the toughest part of that transition for people? Well, purpose and meaning is really connected to everything in retirement, really. It's not about, it's not really about um, just purpose. It's not a standalone sort of situation. And really it's, um, when we look at uh, retirement, there's a number of different kind of pillars to it. There's obviously life identity, which is a big relationship to purpose and meaning. There's also a there's also about health and wellness and social connection, um, uh, personal development, leisure, work potentially. So there's a lot of different um, aspects of retirement that purpose and meaning relate to. So yes, it is important, uh, but I think one of the biggest challenges that people have that are also related to purpose is more so related to what the heck am I going to do for eight hours a day or 10 hours a day or whatever, whatever amount of time you've been working. And I think the unfortunate thing is for a lot of um, people, particularly boomers, they haven't really um, done a lot of work towards that end. Now, I'm broadly saying that because there are a lot of people that have done that work and, and do make the transition a lot smoother, but a lot of people unfortunately uh, don't. And then they have challenge with that whole idea of how am I gonna fill my day and, and define that sense of purpose within that day. Right, and uh, this might be something that we chat about later on after the break, but um, can you maybe tell me a little bit about where do you start with that um, that really daunting gap of now I have eight or 10 hours in my day that I need to fill and I can't play golf for 10 hours a day every day. So what what are my options there? Where do you kind of start with that conversation? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a really good question, Leanna. And I think it, it really comes down to um, Doing the, doing the hard work around reflection about what's important to you as an individual. And I think 
that's one of the challenges that a lot of people have, not just people that are going into retirement, but people in general. We get so busy in our day-to-day lives, we don't take the time to really reflect on what's important for us. And, um, and we get caught up in just doing the tasks of life instead of trying to understand, as I mentioned, um, what's going to make us happy and what we value. And really, um, so some self-reflection around, you know, what am I good at? Um, what are my strengths and talents? What causes are important to me? Consider um, the possibility of volunteering. Am I interested in volunteering? What would that look like? What sort of causes um, can I uh, relate to that I'd be interested in volunteering with? You know, and also, again, identifying personal interest areas. Um, and then, of course, like I, like I mentioned earlier, it's the kind of like moving from that work to life identity and really surrounding yourself with the right people, surrounding yourself uh, doing the right activities that really truly resonate with your values and your interest levels, but also um, cultivate that sense of gratitude in your life. And um, the other one was also about the identifying that sense of awe or looking at the world through a, a pair of glasses that are filled with awe. And I think one of the big challenges for adults is we lose that as we become adults. And if we became more like children when we retired and really seen the world as everything is being new, and there's this great possibility that we can recreate our life identity outside of the workplace, then we're in a much better place to, to uh, support um, the idea of defining activities, relationships that will bring value into our life and that sense of purpose and meaning. Can you maybe elaborate on what are a per, what are your personal values like? How do you determine what those are? Well, again, I think I think values. If you look at the concept of values, they're a little bit misunderstood, and I, I think sometimes a lot of people do have difficulty articulating what that actually means to them. Um, so, what I try to do is try to keep it as simple as possible, and and support people to really look at. Um, the activities, the relationships they have in their life and, and work backwards from there instead of trying to work forwards from um, reaching out and trying to define values that, are, that you're unsure about. Um, so if you, look at, if you look at something like um, somebody who volunteers in their life and they work with small children and they, they may be teaching or they may be teaching uh, English as a second language, for example, as a, as a side gig, um, they one of the values that may come out of that is that they like helping people, right? So, and they, they, they get a satisfaction when people grow uh, and, and change in, in, in their lives. Um, so that's probably the best way to do it is to kind of look at their interests, look at their, their relationships, identify what's important in those, those uh, activities and in those relationships, and then try to label the value that resonates most with with um, those two things. Mm-hmm. Now, does that include looking at things that you enjoy in your work life as well? When you work backwards from there, when you're thinking about this idea of, I know we talked about retirement is maybe not the right word for it, but leaving the career or job that you've been doing. Definitely, yeah. Uh, again, we get a lot of we get a lot of different values from work. When you look at it, we get money, which is the obvious one, right? Uh, but we get we get a sense of status for from some people. Um, we get that sense of time management. We actually go somewhere and work every day. 
Um, we have uh, that opportunity to socialize every day. And then they may not be people that we socialize with outside of work, but it's still a social environment. And then there's that, of course, the purpose, the whole idea of purpose and meaning at work. So, um, and the activities, every activity we do at work has um, either a value to it that, that you get from it, or the other side of the coin where you're not that happy about doing it. So, but we're more concerned about what your the value you're getting from it. So you can certainly look at that as much as, as you can, the activities and the interests you do outside of work, for sure. This is actually an interesting, that brings up an interesting point. If you're not happy about those things that are going on at work and maybe that's the reason you're retiring, do you find that people have an easier time retiring um, as you're kind of coaching them through that transition if they're leaving a job they really aren't enjoying that much? Um, whenever you leave anything voluntarily, it's much easier. When you're leaving, if you're leaving work because uh, you enjoy the job, but you no longer can do the job because, because maybe of a health-related re reason or or you're um, working in an organization that kind of doesn't s sit well with your, your personal values, um, then, you know, it's it's um, a little bit more difficult, right? So because you're, you've, got, you've got that tug of war going on, you know, but there's that inc incongruency between who you are and what the position offers or the job offers, but um, you no longer can can stay in that position for whatever reason you define that to be. So again, I think it it is it's easier when you volunteer to leave, um, but it's still it's still difficult. And a lot of people that um, have difficulty with their workplace or not interested in their workplace will certainly have a much easier time leaving that to move into retirement. But then you still have to look at that other side of the fence, right? On the other side of the doorway, because what does retirement look like at that point in time? It's not just a matter of moving through a door and everything's gonna be perfect, right? Well, that actually brings up another question. We had talked about this a little bit when you were um, facilitating our session the other, uh, the other day. Um, it's uh, one of the interesting things when you talk about values and you look about what you look at what you're retiring to. If you are married or you have a spouse, then it might be a very different conversation. What happens if you have a different plan of what you want to do with your time, or maybe different things that you value than your other half? Well, I think it's important, obviously, to have that sort of that that line of communication open to be able to share with each other about what is important to you and for both both sides of, of that relationship to honor what what is important to the other person um, and to provide the time to them retirement doesn't mean that you have to spend every waking hour with the person you're with right whether it be your 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 spouse or your partner you don't have to do that you what you need to do is uh, define what really works best for you in terms of what's important to you, what resonates with your values and your interests. Um, and so you can have that sense of purpose and meaning, but also um, honor what the other person wants as well. And then define ways that you can work together to, to spend time apart. I know in the, in the um, session that we did um, a while back, we, we did a, um, we had a quick discussion based on a question from one of the audience members and we talked about parallel play and the concept of parallel play you see with children quite a bit about playing two kids playing in the sandbox 
they're together, but they're not playing together. But when they come back together, there's they're they're talking about what they've done, right? And what what the type of sandcastle they built or what they've been playing within that sandbox. And that's no different than any any other type of relationship. So with spouses or partners, it's really important to to be able to come back and add a level of richness to that relationship by sharing the experience, you know, with the person that you care about, um, which will in turn bring you closer, not further apart, even though parallel play implies that you're playing a part. <laughs> so. Now, Brian, we have just about a minute left. Um, can you maybe tell us um, if people want to work with you or they want to work with a retirement transition coach, what can they expect that sort of process to look like? Yeah, well, the process is a little, it's its going to be different, obviously, for different coaches. So I, I, I can't really speak to them. But for me, what I try to do is I, I spend time with people up front just to do an initial sort of what I call an initial context meeting. And uh, that's just an opportunity for me to sit down with them for about an hour, get a, get a sense from them on, you know, what they're hoping to gain from the experience of retirement coaching and, and what, what, how they view, I, how, what, how they see I can help in, in supporting them as they're making their transition into retirement, as well as learn a lot more about who they are, what, what their background is, what their family is, is like uh, the sort of things that they love doing, the things they don't like doing, you know, all those sort, sort of things that make up who they are as individuals. Um, and so that's the initial part. And then from there, what I do is I, I offer them an opportunity to do what's called a retirement success profile, which is an assessment tool that I offer uh, as I'm certified retirement coach to so the retirement options people. And what that does is it measures different factors of retirement success, actually 15 of them. And what it does from there is um, um, it outlines where the person what the person expects out of retirement in relationship to that factor and then from as well as where they are at this point in time and defines whatever that gap looks like in between so we can identify strength factors and focus factors that we can work towards within the coaching process to get them where they want to go fantastic brian we are out of time for today's thank you so much for joining us you're very welcome we've been joined by brian lambier president at career vitality um, if you would like to connect with Brian, please feel free to go the more, to morethanmoneyradio.com and we can connect you with him and uh, your retirement coaching options. Now, uh, before we do go sign off today, we, we have an upcoming seminar to talk about purpose in your retirement and how you make sure you have the amount of money that you need to fund that. We'll be talking about income and growth and all the, everything that goes along with it at our next seminar, Tuesday, June 20th, 7 p.m. in person at the Carriage House Inn in Calgary. Please go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Thanks so much for joining us today. Remember that you can always get past episodes on morethanmoneyradio.com or search More Than Money CHQR on your favorite podcast app and pick us up as a podcast. Thanks for joining us on More Than Money and QR Calgary. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada.